0: All right. I want to invite you to take your Bibles and turn to Romans chapter eight. I know it does seem like we've been in Romans chapter eight quite a while, but um, this is this is the victory chapter. This is where Paul has um, kind of kind of saved up all of his victory ammunition, and here we go with this particular um, chapter where he just brings out one point after another that celebrates what happens to us and concerning us because of jesus christ so it is a wonderful thing to belong to the family of god to be adopted by god and to have the promise of eternity and this chapter is all about good news it's full of good news um, what it means to be a believer but paul doesn't forget about the life that we are currently living and that's really important because in fact he mentions the suffering even though he doesn't necessarily talk about sin and all the different ways that that suffering is caused He mentions the suffering that we go through again, the struggles that we go through, Um, but that is only there to highlight the, 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 the strengths of the victory of Jesus Christ because if we don't know what we're saved from, if we don't know where we're coming from, if we don't know how high we have been lifted from where we were to where we are, we don't understand the victory that has happened. So he does talk about the suffering, he talks about the struggles that we go through, but then the main thing, the whole point... Is uh, that he is is pointing to our victory and what we have in Jesus. So in this passage, Paul's going to acknowledge that not only do the, uh, not only the people of God, but also the creation of God, it needs to be restored. So he's going to be talking about those things. but in this particular passage, the victory that he's talking about, um, is the glory that God has in store for both His uh, creatures, us and His creation uh, nature as we know it. So the sermon in the sentence is this, The work of Jesus means the believer that believers, along with all creation, will receive the glory that God has planned for us. So we're going to be reading here Romans chapter 8, verse 18 through verse 30. Um, not a lot, but I'm telling you, you could preach a sermon on virtually every verse in this, and so we're going to do our best um, to keep it to one sermon, but it could be 12. All right, so let's start. Um, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing uh, for the revealing of the sons of God. Okay, so as we get into this, I'm just going to break it up into two points. One, we're going to be looking at the glory that God has for creation, um, and then we will look at the glory that God has for us. Um, So to begin with, Paul could have moved right into the idea or the theme of glory. So he was going from the theme, the idea of adoption, into the idea of glory, but instead he takes some time to acknowledge the sufferings that we go through in this present age. Um, so when he uses the word consider so he says for I consider we think that means to contemplate or to think or even to have an opinion but that's not really what this word means this is more like Paul is using his apostolic authority you know as a messenger of Jesus Christ to declare something so he considers he declares he reckons he counts this suffering that we have in this present age as not comparable to the glory that is to be revealed that's what he's saying there. Um, And then the next thing is he mentions this present time. Now he is not specifically talking about the first century here. Um, So this present time, because we know that in the first century there was greater persecution on the church. Church was smaller. Um, the, the, The Jews hated the church. The Romans hated the church. There was persecution from all sides. He's not necessarily talking about the first century, but he's talking about this age. So there is this age, the age that Jesus left us in, and the age to come where Jesus returns. And so he's talking about this age. So all the sufferings that a Christian might experience during their lifetime, that's what's in view here. Um, So he's talking about everything that we might expect. So believers must expect suffering in this present age, whether they be due to our sinning, uh, persecution, the pains of ministry, or the result of living in a fallen world. We know that some of the sufferings that we encounter are because we sin or others sin against us. And so that would all be a result of, of sin. So we know about that kind of suffering. We know that it exists. But we also know that there is and has been persecution in the church. And we know that, that, that it is happening currently in countries around the world. We know that it's kind of setting up to possibly happen a little bit closer to home. So we know that those things are out there, that those things are possible Um, Paul talks about several times pains of the ministry because there are things that he had to suffer in order to serve Jesus. There are things that he had to endure, especially as you think about the Corinthian church. and You think about those two letters that we do have that Paul wrote to them and the anguish and the suffering he went through just to write those letters to correct the issues that were going on in those churches. So that's another type of suffering. But then we could look at simply the kinds of suffering that are common to living in a fallen world. So you think about natural disasters. Uh, you, you, you think about sickness. Uh, you, you think about you know diseases. You think about the the problems that all people face, such as like like poverty, hunger, um, things along those lines. All of that falls within the scope of this kind of suffering. So Paul is not just saying specifically. If you're a Christian and someone tries to imprison you or harm you or, or, or even kill you because of your confession in Christ, then that suffering is, is not comparable. But he's saying all kinds of suffering, the whole scope of human discomfort and, and, and disharmony and, and everything, all of it combined. And, and, and if we're honest, we know that the world is full of suffering. And what Paul is saying is that you combine all the suffering that this world has, all the the accumulation of pain and tears and and, and, and heartbreak, it pales in comparison to the glory that God is going to reveal. And so that's the point that he's making there. So he's not making light of these sufferings. In fact, he's piling them on. He's letting you know that it is all of these things. He's simply saying that they are not worth comparing to the glory of God that will be revealed. And so... I decided to put a word on there that you definitely have to look at the screen. I I, I needed help. The glory of God has prepared for us is disproportionately better than the sufferings we face in this current season. Now, I use Microsoft Word, and a lot of times I misspell something, and it underlines it in red and says, hey, you didn't spell this right. And then you click on it, and it tells you this is how you spell it. if you knew, why don't you just put it down there correctly? I didn't get it close enough for it to guess. I, I had I had to do all kinds of things to figure out how to spell that word, but anyway, there it is. Um, so the, the glory that God has for us is disproportionately better, greater, exceeds beyond all measure the suffering that we have in this present age. So what he has for us is something greater than anything that we are going to experience in a negative sense on this earth. Okay, so we should note that this glory will be revealed because it has already been created. Note, notice one more time what he says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. He's not saying that we'll be made. In other words, this glory is not out there and hopefully it gets made, hopefully it happens. Ho- no, no, no. This glory already exists. It is going to be revealed at a certain time. So God, or Paul is referring here to something that God has already done that will be revealed at the perfect time. Now the imagery of childbirth uh, that, is, that he's about to use in a couple of verses is perfect for this as well. So when we see a woman that's expecting, we know that life has already been made and that it will break forth at the right time. So that's that's the imagery that we have. Life has already been made. It's going to break forth at the appropriate time. That's the picture of this glory. It's, it's already there. It's already been made. It is going to break forth when God chooses. So uh, when the child is growing, and especially when it's being delivered, there's great suffering, but it fades into insignificance once the child is born. And so this is the, the very same picture. So we know that, that, that as the glory of God gets closer, as the things that, that God is going to reveal get closer, there is going to be more and more and more suffering. And I'm not necessarily pointing to the news articles that you could read right now about suffering. I read scripture and a red revelation and I believe that things are going to get worse, much, much worse, to a degree that we can't even imagine, much worse than what they are now before they get better. And that suffering is going to continue to compound until the right time. So what Paul is saying That even though the suffering uh, may be all we know right now, that may be, you know, we may live in a world of pain, and and really we do, the glory is already there and it will be revealed in the next age. The glory of whatever God has for us, what He has in store for us, is greater and grander, so much so that we will forget the things, the, the pain, the suffering, the trouble that we have gone through in this time. So the fact that this glory is a revelation means that we can't fully explain what it is at this present time. So you've been hearing me go on for the last few minutes about the glory, the glory, the glory. What is the glory? What what do we get? What, what, you know, what's what's behind door number one? What is is he offering to us? Well, it's a revelation. And what that means is that we can't know everything about it yet. There are things that we do know, but there are things that we don't know yet. Revelation means something that God's going to reveal, and so there's more to it. But what we do know, We do know that our bodies will be restored to the glory that they had before the fall. So that means that if it hurts you to squat down and pick something up, or if those days are gone and it hurts to bend over and pick something up, and you've got one of those little sticks where you grab things, all that pain, all that suffering, that's gone. If, if you are here and you're saying there are things about my body that are just broken, there are things about my body that was born and it wasn't right, or there's been things that injuries, there's been disease, there's been problems, all of those things, it's all going to be restored to the way that it is. But it's even more than that. We know that our sin nature will be removed. So it's not just the, the, the physical ailments and the physical damage and all the things that have happened. That's all going to be fixed. It's going to be restored in such a way that we are disease-proof. We are injury-proof. There is no more potential for us to suffer, and there is no more potential for us to sin. God is going to renew everything about us, removing that sin nature, removing the problems that will be going on, so we will never suffer again. These are all things that we know about the glory, and, 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 and I have this feeling that there's things about the glory that are better than what we know. So what we do know, what the Bible said, I feel that there is more. There is greater things even than that that God will reveal to us in those last days. So what else do we know? We know that our relationship with God will be perfected. Perfected. Now, do you want to be happier? Do you want to feel better? So this is not where I'm fixing to start preaching the prosperity gospel. What I am going to tell you is draw closer to God. He may not give you one more red cent. He may not heal whatever sickness or disease or problem you've got going on, but you will feel better because you're drawing closer to the Creator. You're drawing closer to Him who made you, who loves you, who saved you, who is building you up. Draw closer to Him and you will feel better. And the promise that we do know that we have is that not only will we draw closer to Him, but our relationship with Him will be perfected. None of us even know what that means. I can say it, I can put it in bold print and hang it up on a sign on the back behind me, but I don't know what it means because I don't know what a perfect relationship looks like. Every relationship I've been in has been flawed. Every relationship that we have is flawed. We are not perfect people, so we can't have perfect relationships with people. But we will have a perfect relationship not only with God, but also with each other and everybody else that we encounter. That's a wonderful thing, and that's something that we already know. We know that we have been given, or will be given, an eternal place with God. And again, this is something that we know in in images. We know this in some words, but what's it really going to be like? So. We know that the Bible describes heaven. It describes this new city that God is going to bring down and place on the earth. But at the same time, we have scripture that says, eye is not seen and ear is not heard. So we know that it's better than anything that was described even in the Bible. And I suggest to you that it, that it exceeds the limits of human communication. That's the kind of glory that is already prepared, that will be revealed at a certain time. So that's what that's what, that's what what Paul's saying is that the, the suffering that you have, as bad as it is, and he's not making light of anybody's suffering, anybody's pain, no matter what time frame they've lived in, no matter if it's persecution or whether it's sickness, whether it's loss of loved one or any other kind of pain, it's just that it can't compare to the glory that God's going to reveal. Because those are just the things that we know. And there's much more that we know. Much more that's included in Scripture. But the list was just there to kind of let you get an idea that It's better than all of this. Whatever it is, God's got even more than that in store for us, and that's what it means for it to be a revelation. Now, the next thing he starts to talk about is that the creation itself, um, that creation is longing for the revelation of the sons of God. Now, that would be in in a complete sense. In other words, creation is longing for all the sons of God to be revealed, all the children of God to be revealed. That's what creation is longing for. So, Creation here is what we might call nature. So it's the subpersonal parts of, of, of God's creation. So it's not it's not necessarily, he's not necessarily referring to people at this point. He's not necessarily referring to angels and things like that. He's referring to nature, what we know of as the physical realm of earth. And so that's what he's talking about when he says creation. So even God's wonderful creation has been corrupted by the fall. This is important for us to recognize is that if you have enjoyed going out and seeing the world, if you have been to places that, that take your breath away, if you have maybe been to Niagara Falls, or you've been to the Grand Canyon, or you've seen the, the Rocky Mountains, or I'm, I'm pretty blown away by the Smoky Mountains, if you've seen those things and you think, wow, our God makes a beautiful place, let me tell you, this world has fallen. This is not what he intended what he intended was way better than what we currently have and so just imagine or try to imagine it'll it'll take the rest of your day and you still won't succeed imagine what he does have in store imagine the beauty that is out there you know um i guess it was monday my mom sent me a picture and it was this rattlesnake huge it was timber rattler so they're big big huge rattlesnake coiled up at a tree and my message was, leave it alone, because it was too big to mess with. Well, by this point, everything had already been handled. Um, but I got to thinking about how when we walk around in this world, there's danger. There's there's it, It's beautiful, but it's dangerous. That's something that's going to go away. You know, when I was a kid, I'd run off through the woods and never think anything about it. But now you think, oh, there's snakes, and there's all these other things that could could bring trouble all of that threat's going away and there's so much more that's going away so all that danger and all those reservations that we have and all that that, that we think oh no this is this is beautiful but but, but scary it's not going to be scary anymore god is going to restore even creation and that's something that we have to recognize so nature was created to perfectly reflect the character of god but man was part of that creation and so because of our fall Even though there's no guilt that's actually assigned to nature, nature fell right along with us. And so that's something that we have to recognize. So because of the fall, nature has not been able to fulfill its purpose. But in hope, now you should read expectation there, God is preparing it to be restored. It uses the word hope because it's not yet seen, but that doesn't mean that it isn't already done. God's promised it, God's planned it, it's going to happen, But God is going to restore even the creation. And so that is part of the work of Jesus. Not a part that we talk about that much, but we have to recognize that, yes, this world is is different than it was designed or planned to be, and God is going to restore it back to its former glory. So now uh, we see change. When we look at the world, we see change, we see decay, we see death Uh, everywhere we look. But when the glory is revealed, nature will be restored and experience the freedom granted to the sons of God. So nature itself is going to be redeemed. And so that's kind of what Paul is saying there. Um, Creation knows the greatness to come and longs for the day that it can break forth. And so this is where Paul brings in the imagery of pregnancy again, brings in this imagery of, of a child being born because nature is groaning for this thing to happen. On the very surface of the earth, Jesus died. On the very surface of the earth, Jesus was risen from the dead. Nature knows that its master has been here. Nature knows that redemption has been paid for. Nature knows that redemption is coming. And so this is important for us to recognize. These things are things that are going to happen. So... You know, when we think about pregnancy, when we think about a woman that's expecting, early on there's there's signs. There's already signs. And, and it may be things that only she can perceive. Uh, for Amanda, she she's probably told this to some of y'all, but she loves coffee. But she couldn't stand the smell of coffee. And that was a sign. And so we, we just kind of knew that for the second time around. We just kind of knew that because that was that was a sign. But But, you know, soon those that are closest to the mother already see the signs and already know and already understand something... Something's happening. Life is is springing up. Life is happening. But as time draws nearer, even the most unobservant of people uh, can recognize life is coming. Something is changing. Something is happening. Even the most unobservant of people recognize. Um, And this is how it is for the creation. The signs are already there. What God is going to do, He has already written in nature. He has already declared it. But these things are going to become more and more evident. Jesus died uh, in this nature. He rose in this nature. We now trot across this globe declaring the gospel of Jesus Christ. As nature is our witness, we are doing these things. So nature knows what's about to happen. One day, Jesus will change everything. So we as believers know that things have changed within us and we expect even greater change to come. We know that God has been working inside of us, and we know that things are going to continue to change. So he says in, in, in um, uh, verse uh, 21, he says, "...for the creation itself will be set free from bondage and corruption and obtain the freedom, the glory of the children of God." Verse 22, "...for we know that the whole of creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth unto now, and not only creation, but we ourselves." who have the first fruit of the Spirit. So this is the first thing. The Spirit of God dwells inside of us. This is the beginning of the change. And it continues to grow and it continues to change until we reach the point that God actually reveals um, His glory within us. And so the first fruit of the Spirit grown inwardly. We're waiting inwardly for this thing to happen. And we wait eagerly for adoption of sons, the adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. So we go right back to this concept that we talked about recently, the already not yet. Are you saved? Yes, we are already saved. Have you been glorified? Not yet. Has God finished his work in you? Not yet. Is there more to come? Yes, absolutely. And so that's the picture is that that we we have, but it's not yet happened. It's, it's, It's almost that feeling when you're going on a trip and everything's packed up, everything's prepared, but it's not time to leave. I and mean, you have that anxious, like it's, it's time to go, but, but we don't have it yet. That is the Christian life. We're we are packed, we're prepared, we're ready. We've, we've learned the Word of God, we've spoken about God, we've become believers, but it's not yet quite time. So we're waiting on that perfect time. That is what God is doing for us, and that time will come. So we have the Spirit, we know that we've been adopted, and we long for the day that we can enter into our inheritance, which is ultimately what this glory is all about. Um, so, but just like a mother... We must wait for the appropriate time, really, truly the perfect time. Uh, in, in, in the waiting, we dream of what will be. That's, that's what we expect. Parents dream big dreams for their children. that's, that's part of parenthood is, is hoping for the very best for them, but we know that all of these things come in time. So Christians, uh, the Christian idea of hope, it doesn't include any shred of doubt. So that's an important thing. So, so what we hope for, there's no doubt in it. There's no maybe it happens, maybe it doesn't. It is what we know to be true. Um, We know that God will fulfill his promises. We know that God is a promise keeper, always has been. The challenge for us is to wait in hope until the perfect time comes. And so he says there um, in verse 25, but if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. And so that is an important part is the things that God has for us, we wait for them, we wait for them in patience. So all the signs of the future glory are already here, but we wait patiently for its revelation. So that's that's what we have to do. God has got great things in store, but we are going to have to wait patiently. Okay, so now let's look at the glory that God has for us. And I know there was some mingled in us with creation there, um, but this, this second part is pretty much all about what God's going to be doing or has done in our lives. So let me start with a statement. Um, there is no part... Of the Christian life that God expects us to do alone and you know what that even includes prayer he gives us the Holy Spirit in our lives to help us pray when we don't know what to pray so look at verse 26 again he says likewise the Spirit helps us in our weakness for we do not know what to pray for as we ought to so this weakness this weakness can be any number of things. It can be a spiritual weakness. It can be a moral weakness, but it can also be a weakness of, of knowledge, things that we just simply don't know. And so, those, those are all things that, 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 that sometimes we, we are unable to, to deal with because of our weakness, things we just simply don't know. Have you ever been in a situation, let's say you're watching a new sport, a sport you've never watched before? Somebody's making you watch it. So, you're sitting there and you're watching this sport, and they're like, Do you have any questions? And you're like, well, I don't even know what to ask. I don't know enough about the, the sport to ask a question. I don't even know what they're trying to do out there. You, you imagine something that maybe we don't watch all that much, like cricket or some, some sport from another country or something. You watch that and you're like, I don't even know what this is. I don't, I don't know how to ask a question about that. And so that would be, that would be where we are sometimes in our prayer life. Is we don't know enough to even ask the right questions. There is the Spirit. So, uh, the Spirit helps us to pray the will of God. Now, there are people that take a passage like this, especially uh, where in, down in um, uh, verse 26 where it says, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Um, some people would take that to mean something like tongues or prayer language or anything like that. Paul doesn't introduce those ideas. Um, instead, what he's talking about is is, is our prayers They aren't directed always where they need to be, and the Holy Spirit focuses our prayers and He helps us to pray in the way that we should. So, as we pray, our sin, our suffering, they cloud our spirit, and we don't pray according to the will of God. We don't ask for the things that we need to ask for. Um, The Holy Spirit, as part of His ministry to us, intercedes on our behalf to pray according to God's will. So, we are weak and in our weakness we simply don't know how to pray and that weakness can be like i said it can be moral weakness it can be spiritual weakness it can be just knowledge things that we don't know context that we don't have and the holy spirit steps in for all of those things Um, um, our weaknesses means that we don't know enough and and that is important part for us to recognize so Imagine you're struggling in a job. You're in this job and you're struggling. And, and you kind of feel like things are closing in on you that, that you might lose this job. And you go to God and you begin to pray, God, help me in this job. Make me better. Make me successful so that I can keep this job, so that I can continue to provide for my family, so that I can grow in this career. You, you keep praying that. But What if you knew that God had a better job for you? That God had something else for you. Would you be asking for that instead of asking help for the job that you have? Well, this is kind of a simple, it's a no-brainer. Obviously, we'd ask for the new job rather than continue to struggle in the job that God is moving us away from. But what we, we don't know that. So we don't know God's plan always. And so this is where the Holy Spirit steps in. Now, this is simple. And this is a no-brainer. But there are other things that, that, that are just, as, just as, as, as out there. We may ask for God to do one thing but he has something even better in mind. And so this is where the Holy Spirit intervenes and and, and helps us to pray the things that God would have us to pray. And so that's an important part for us to do that. So another thing that is important, and this is where kind of the, the, the spirit and the groanings come in, we have needs that are so great that we can't express them. So as we pray, we know we're not really expressing what's in our heart. We know we're not really expressing the needs of our heart, and there the Holy Spirit steps in and and prays those out. So simply put, our needs are greater than our ability to express them. So we need to listen to the Spirit. Uh, We need the Spirit to listen to our hearts and hear the groanings that we cannot put into words. Holy Spirit hears these. He intercedes for us according to our deepest pains and the longing of our spirit. So, As he continues on, it it might be easy for us to be a little depressed by the fact that this glory hasn't been revealed yet, that there's still so much out there that that, that we don't get to see. It may be that we are depressed by these things. Um, But Paul takes this time to reassure us about our purpose or the purpose that God has for our lives. Focusing on a verse that many of us probably do know, Romans chapter 8, verse 28, it says, And we know that for those who love God... All things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. I think as we begin to examine this verse, it's important for us to recognize what it's not saying. So let's talk about that for just a minute. This is not saying that faithful Christians will only experience good things. Probably everybody in this room could amen that, because we have been faithful to God and we have experienced things that aren't good. We know that we experience things that, from our perspective, they are bad. But what, basically the opposite of that idea is true. There will be bad or difficult things that happen, but God will redeem those things to make us better. So think that way. When you're going through a challenge, when you're going through something, it can be, you know, physical ailment or sickness or things like that. It can be the loss of a loved one, or it can be the, the breaking down, the, the destruction of a friendship or a relationship. It can be any number of things. When you go through something, you're like, why me, Lord? Think about it in terms of what God can do. How can God redeem this situation? That's an important thing. So it, it, it's, it's like this, let's say you had plans to do something in the afternoon, you, you were going to meet up with friends, and you, and you were, you were going to go out and catch up and, and have some time to kind of reunite with, with some friends, and that was what your plan was. Well then, one of your friends calls and, and they've got a problem, they can't, they can't meet, and so the whole plan is off. Then you look around your house and you say, you know what? It's been a little while since I've cleaned this house. I'll clean the house. That's redeeming the time. That's using that time or using that what would be a bad situation to do something that will be helpful and good. Now, God works on a whole different level than we do, but he takes these horrible things. God doesn't cause bad things in our lives. God doesn't bring suffering into our lives. But when these things happen, God works a way to redeem these things for our Better for our goodness, for making us better. So it doesn't mean that bad things won't happen. It means that even when bad things happen, God uses those to make better things happen in our lives. So, you know, and it's not enough for um, Paul to refer to believers here. Romans eight twenty eight could be a little bit shorter if God would just, or Paul would have just said, "Hey." you know, believers, God's going to work everything out for you. Uh, but he makes some very clarifying statements. He says, those that love God and those that are called according to his purpose. So what do these things actually mean? So anyone can can claim the name of Christian. We've seen that a lot. We've seen people that claim the name of Christian, but they are not Christians. So what Paul is saying is that true Christians, true children love God, and they are called according to God's purpose. So the call here... In the New Testament, Jesus says, many are called, few are chosen. Um, And and, and so it's not about the the calling so much as as more the, the word might be effectual call. And so when God calls and people answer, so those are the ones... Those are the ones that love God. Those are the ones who God is working out good for. Um, So God's purpose is a call according to his purpose. God's purpose is salvation. He made that abundantly clear. I, I came, the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. So God made clear his purpose that it is salvation. And so we are called to salvation. We are called to God's purpose and we love him. So true believers have heard God's call and answered it leading to salvation. When we are saved, we become His children, uh, and He looks after us completely. This is important. God looks after us completely. Here's another thing. God causes everything, even bad things, to work out For the good of his children. This is an important part because we have to recognize that there will be bad things that happen. You read this, you misread this, you let somebody kind of fill you up with all these rosy, sunshiny ideas that that Christians are never going to suffer, they're going to get richer, they're going to get healthier, they're going to have everything good for them. That kind of stuff will lead you into despair. What we need to recognize is that, yes, we're going to be travelers in this world, and travelers in this world are going to take a stumble, and travelers in this world are going to suffer, but in every one of those things, God is going to bring the good out of it. He is going to bring growth out of it. He is going to bring progress out of it, and so that's an important thing. Now, these last two verses were never meant to cause a debate in the church over the existence of the free will of humans. People make this into this like battleground between... Whether you would be a Calvinist or whether you would not be a Calvinist, people make this into a battleground, but that's not what it was intended to be. These two verses were intended to provide hope. Obviously, as humans, we have hope or we have choice. That, that's kind of clear. We chose to sin. We fell into sin at the beginning. Um, there's so many warnings about not choosing to fall into sin. So obviously, there's some there's some choice there that we make. There are some choices that we make. But the point of these two verses is to help us understand God's role in our salvation and the fact that his role in our salvation is actually complete. So Paul's intention here is to help us understand that our lives, past, present, and future, are completely In God's hand Um, a word that we should be familiar with is sovereignty God is sovereign that means that he is in control he has authority and he has provided salvation for us he has made that for us and that's an important part we didn't ask God to send Jesus this is another one of those times where the Spirit did something that we couldn't pray for we might have prayed for a deliverer but we never knew to pray for Jesus and so God sent Jesus to this earth to be our Savior Salvation has been part of the plan from the very beginning. We have to recognize that, that God knew people would fall. God knew that we would need a Savior. God prepared His Son, Jesus Christ, beforehand. All of this has been established before the foundation of the earth. God knew this saga would play out. That's an important part for us to recognize. God knew these things in advance. Um, So this has been part of the plan from the very beginning. And let me tell you something that is really, really good news nothing can spoil God's plan. Nothing can change God's plan. Nothing can ruin his designs. That's important for us to know. So, God will not leave the elements of your salvation to the chance that you make the right choice. He initiates the process and dictates the terms all the way through, meaning before you were seeking God, God was calling to you. So, There might have been some experience, and for me, I was was sitting in a church, and I don't even know what the preacher was preaching about, but I began to be convicted about my sin. I was 13 years old. What could I have possibly done at 13 years old? But I was convicted by my sin, and that was God working in my life and drawing me to Him. I wasn't just sitting there contemplating how bad of a person I was. God was helping me to understand that I needed him. He was reaching out to me. And that's what Paul is telling us here is that God has initiated this whole process. So look at 29 and 30. There's a lot of words in here. For those whom he foreknew. This indicates that he knows beforehand what's going to happen. We got evidence of this all throughout the Bible. The Bible talks about before you know I was even knitted together in my mother's womb, you knew me. And God talks about this or through his prophets. We know that God has always had a plan in always known. So that's not a difficult thing. He also predestined. So what did he predestine? So those that he foreknew, those that he knew were his followers, knew that were his children, what does that mean? He predestined them. So what did he predestine them to be or to do? That is to be conformed to the image of his son. What is the Christian life? It is us becoming like Jesus. That's what it is. Why are we called Christians? What does that word mean? It means Christ-like. So that has been part of the plan the whole time that Christians will become Christ-like. And what have I been telling you for the last several weeks? That God's work in your life makes you more like Christ. It is God's work. God saved you, and God is also saving you. He he saved you from yourself, and He is making you, saving you to be like Jesus, to be Christ-like. So that's all part of of what He's always said that He was going to do. In order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers, so Jesus is the first of many that are going to be like him this is the being uh, being adopted into the family of god being joint co-heirs with christ we are brothers and sisters with christ we are becoming like him jesus is the first but we will go and we will be like him not that we will be deity but that in our lives we'll live pure we'll live holy that is the calling that we will live more and more pure more and more holy as we go because we are becoming more and more like jesus and again yes we have a choice in that we live but God is leading us. God is bringing us along that path, okay? So verse 30, says, for those whom he predestined, he also called. We've already talked about what that calling is. He's calling us to salvation. We're, ex- we're, we're receiving that call. We can only receive that call because he's already started the process. Those whom he called, he also justified. We've already talked about justified. What does that mean? That means that... that Legally, God has declared that we have completely fulfilled the law. That's not based on anything we've done, it's based on what Jesus did. Jesus his record of perfection, His record of righteousness is superimposed over our record of unrighteousness and sinfulness. So when God looks at our record, He doesn't look at a record of sinfulness. He looks at a record of perfection because it is Jesus' record of perfection. So He's justified thus and He also glorified. And this brings us right back full circle, this glory that God is going to reveal. So this passage was not meant to inspire debate. It was meant to inspire hope. It was meant to bring us into a place where we know that God has us. God is saving us. God is bringing us to the destination that we need to be. And praise God that it doesn't depend on me for me to get to heaven. Praise God that it doesn't depend on me for things to go right in this church. Praise God that it doesn't depend on us for his word to go out. It depends on God. He is sovereign. He is the one that is working out his plan of salvation among this whole world. You look at this world today and tell me you've got a solution for what's wrong. Because I don't, no one else does, but God does. And it is Jesus Christ. And He is the one that can bring these things to pass. And so this is important. Every part of your life has been a part of God's plan. And His plan extends to your glorification and beyond. So if you think God has carried you this far believe that God will carry you on. That's the important thing for us to walk away from in this passage is that God has brought us here and He is going to carry us on. God is not about dropping people off at some random bus stop. He is bringing us all the way to the finish line. He is bringing us to glorification. So, just to wrap this up, there is so much pain in this world and it will likely get much much worse before it gets better. I hate to bring that news to you, but I believe it will get worse. There are people who go out and live every day in this world without the hope that we as Christians have. So just imagine this for a minute. You, knowing Jesus is coming back, knowing that things are going to be changed for the better at some time, you watch the news, you see the terrible stories, you see the suffering and you think, Lord Jesus, come quickly because we have that hope. We know that he's coming. But think about people in the world that are, that are thinking, well, if we don't fix this, it's going to keep getting worse. We know we can't fix it, but God can. So there are people living in this world without any hope at all. We have been given hope. We have been given knowledge that God is going to step in at a certain time. Our lives may seem like a mess now, uh, or a mess to us, but God has a plan, and we should trust Him exclusively Every step of the way. Do y'all know what exclusive means? That means that we don't depend on anything else. We're not depending on people to come rescue us. We're not depending on people to make the right choices. We're not depending on people to change their ways. We're depending on God. We must give over our entire lives to God, and we have to encourage others to do the same. You know, Paul was pretty clear to people that he talked to that the only difference between us and the world is Jesus. We're not better. We're not, we're not somehow fundamentally different than them. We're just saved. God has saved us and He is changing us. The same God that redeemed us can redeem anyone else. Let me just encourage you. If you are happy with what God has done in your life, tell other people about it. Tell other people about it. God has a plan for their salvation just like He has a plan for your salvation. Let me, let, me, let me tell you, we had to hear it from somebody. I had to hear it from a bunch of people before I would listen, but, but we had to hear it in order to be saved. And so somebody else was part of God's plan for my salvation to share the gospel with me, to explain what it meant. And just think that you're sitting here this morning and from time immortal past, God may have planned for you to have a very important conversation with somebody this week about salvation. Now, I don't want to make it something that's a destiny appointment, but think about it. God has a plan, and at some point, it's going to involve you doing something because He saved you for a purpose. He saved you to save you, but He also saved you to work, to serve, to have a part in His kingdom. So think about what God may be calling you to do now. What he may be about to use you to do. And if you look at this world and you can see the sadness and the sorrow and the pain, but you can also see the hope of Christ Jesus, just know that other people need that hope as well. They need to hear that. They need to know that Jesus saves. They need to know that he has a plan. They need to know that this world is not all there is. There is more. There is much, much more. Let's have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning praising you and thanking you for that much, much more. Those things that we can't put into words. My mind is blown by the things that you have told us. It is so amazing to think that not just before I was formed in my mother's womb, but before the world was built, you had a plan that included my salvation. But Lord that's just the things that, that that we can we can hear that we can understand. There are things that we can't even understand that you've done for us. I praise you. Father, I pray for this world right now. It seems like even those of us that would call ourselves Christians are distracted by the wrong things. We're talking about the wrong things. We're fighting the wrong battles. It really, it really does no good to bail water out of a sinking ship without first plugging the leak. And Lord, the, the, the ship of this world is sinking because they don't know you. Let us declare you. Let us proclaim Jesus in every opportunity that we get. There's nothing else that's going to help. So I pray that you empower us to do what you have empowered your followers to do throughout every generation let us like Paul proclaim to know nothing but Christ and him crucified and in that message we can see true and lasting change maybe not the whole world but for those that that listen those that hear those that respond we can see eternal change and I pray for that it's in Jesus name we pray amen